Hi, I'm Jennifer Carter, and thank you for joining me on a podcast for parents, teachers, and administrators. Today's conversation should be a good one, and I'm sure it's something on your mind. So let's get to it. I'm with Mr. P, also known as Maurice, and he's going to introduce himself and tell us what his interest in school is. Hi, my name is Maurice. Um, I'm from Oakland, California. And as a parent and uh, someone who's worked in education, my question is, how do you manage interracial groups of kids? Do you do something that's race neutral? Do you celebrate cultural diversity? Um, Do you approach it with colorblindness? Um, Especially in preschool space, um, there's not really a need for politics. But I think there's also an unhealthy way to do this. What do you think is the best way? (laughs) Well, interestingly, um, I think colorblindness is probably the worst thing you can do. Um, Because for me, I identify as African-American and my son, I identify as black. He says he's black American. But if you don't want to see color, if you say that all people are the same, you're taking away my ability to say what I am. And instead of giving me the opportunity to enter the conversation and say, I, you know, I don't want to engage in a conversation about race or ethnicity, you take away that when you say that someone is colorblind or, you know, you want to do a con- or have a conversation with people where they're colorblind or they don't want to talk about race. So taking away anyone's ability to articulate what they are and how they see themselves, I think is probably the worst thing you can do. So you you ask young people to um, identify themselves with their pronouns and their racial identification? Not necessarily, and I'm not saying that either, you know. Like I said, don't go into a situation assuming, right? That's really what we don't wanna do. And I, I appreciate the, you know, d- disabusing yourself of this idea of race and the construct of race. But, you know, I'm not wholly convinced that everybody in the country is on that page. And so until we all get on the same page, like we've all agreed not to eat people, right? No one's going to assume we're a cannibal. <laughs> we're on the same page with that. And when we get to that with race, then I think then you can make some assumptions. But right now you can't. And then with little kids, though, again, the best thing that parents can do is to teach them to have a strong sense of self, mm-hmm. no matter what. And if your sense of self, if your family values includes a sense of self that includes race, then absolutely you're a black child, you live in a black household, these are the cultural things that we do, or you're a Jewish child, you live in a Jewish household, these are the cultural things we do. Celebrating and giving them confidence and pride in that will alleviate the racism part. Because if someone comes at them and says, well, I don't like you because you are Jewish or white or black, they're like, I don't care. My mom said I'm black, you know, my mom said I'm Native American, you know, and giving again that sense of confidence in what they are, as opposed to talking about racism from a perspective of the world is going to judge you and here's the negative thing, like celebrate it and praise it in your household. 
What do you think? That that I, I like that approach. Um, I I hope that um, my son, as he engages in academic curriculum, can kind of be handled by educators with uh, such a mature perspective. Hmm. Well, interestingly, so my son is a little bit older than your son, as you know. You know, Ian is 22, and he has a very clear perspective on who he is. Mm. You know, even though some of those parts of Ian drive his mother crazy, he knows who he is. And he's like, if it drives you crazy, you know, as long as it's not offensive, we may have to negotiate on some of those parts of my personality and who I am, you know? Um, I think you you bring a good point in that it does lead for problems. I'm not gonna say that this is going to be met always with open arms. You know, whenever someone approaches me as an adult and we, I find myself, I don't know if you find this, but I find myself engaged in conversations about race a lot more now as an adult and in this time than I have done previously. And people will say, you know, I don't want, you know, I don't want to offend you. You know, I don't see race. I don't see color. And I'm always correcting people like, no, you have to see me, you know, when you're talking about children in a school setting, your child is not necessarily going to be like, no, Miss Smith, you have to see me. I am a right. budget. You know, he's not necessarily going to know that. Um, but maybe helping him develop that language when people say race doesn't matter, it is perfectly legitimate for him to know to say it matters to me. It's important to me and my family. Mm. You know, and that's not necessarily like big adult words, but if you have a teacher that's not going to then acknowledge that it's important to him, then that's a whole different problem, right? But if I, as a teacher, know that his race is important to him, then what else do I have to do but make it important to me, too? It's interesting. It brings up a huge bag of worms. Um, Because what does it mean to say your race is important to you? I can understand culture being important to you. Mm-hmm. I can understand heritage being important to you. Um, I don't necessarily think it's healthy when white people walk around saying, but I'm white and that means this. I also don't know if it's healthy when young people walk around saying, I'm black and that means this. Um, I. What, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, again, I, I always take things back to what happens in the house, you know, mm-hmm. like we have for us, you know, I, Ian has an understanding of what it means to be black because he's not going to get smart with a policeman. Right. Okay. That's that's one of the things, whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, he being black in our house means that when you're in a situation with law enforcement, whether you're right or wrong, whether it's good or bad, you just stay chill because you don't know how it's going to turn out. Got it. And that is directly connected to the fact that he's a, he's a black child or a black man in America, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, Um, you know, at the same time, like if 
he's in the school cafeteria and they give him a roll and he's like, black people don't eat that. That's not really like we're, we're not having those conversations. Right, right, right. You but know? that's what I'm saying. Like, does he feel compelled to be good at basketball, dancing and rapping because he's black? And I'm like, I don't know if that's what being black means. Right. Um, but I think you have to define that in your household. You know, for me, when I talk about being anything, whether it's black or white or Native American or anything else that's, that's that surface stuff, it means just what you said. What are the cultural and heritage and events and big landmarks in your life? Those are the things that you have in common with people who look like you, you know? Right. And right. that overlaps. Interestingly, um, we live with Korean students for six years and right. like their potato salad and my potato salad, it's, it's the same, you know? <laughs> and that's just like a, like a small thing, but there's a lot of overlaps and that's sort of the point. The more that you say, these are our traditions, these are, this is my heritage, this is my culture, the more those overlaps become apparent because then you start talking about it. Oh yeah, my aunties do that too. Oh right. yeah, I, that happens to me in my household too. And then race isn't race, race is race, you know, where it's right. interconnected. And that's really what we want to see and, and talk about is how, what are the things that make us alike that we can connect to each other with? And what are the things that make us different that we can be like, Ooh, I can't wait to go over to your house and, you know, do whatever cultural activity your family does. Like I, right. I love a quinceanera, you know, right. You know, and that's not a black thing. That is mm -hmm. very much a Mexican thing, right? And it's mm -hmm. not even all Mexicans, you know? Um, I love celebrating 100 days of baby's births because there's cake and food with my Korean friends, right? And so on the surface, it's racial, but when you get in deeper, and that's what I mean, like this idea of being black, when you get in deeper, it's that deeper stuff that is the thing that ties you to other people that look like. So, I like that. I'm glad. I'm hope hopefully that's helpful. <laughs> it is. Good. So when when he goes off to school, you know, you can coach him in some language on again how to articulate that, you know, because he's bicultural, right? He is bicultural. So maybe you can share a little bit about that. Um, you know, it's interesting to me. I've already had pushback in his life. Uh, I had an incident on a train where he was wearing um, a British flag on his chest and he was maybe two. Oh. And a man on the train came to me and said, you should have him wearing an American flag. And I said, why? He said, aren't you American? I said, yes. He's like, well, you should have your son wearing an American flag. I said, but he's British. Too shit. And the man was very confused. <laughs> and he said, are you British? And I said, no. Then how is he British? His mom is British. He has a British passport. Your son has a British passport. Yes. Well, if you are a proud American, you should make your son wear an American flag. At which point I said, I served my country in the military. Did you serve your country in the military? Well, no. Well, then don't tell me 
how to celebrate my country because you sound like you got some work to do. <laughs> At this point, people on the train began to laugh because this guy was the type of guy who might try to, you know, feel comfortable pushing his beliefs on people. And I didn't respond in a way that I was going to accept his beliefs per se. He was also confused because we look like black people. And what does that mean? Again, it comes back to that question of, well, what does it mean to say I'm a black person? You know, does that mean I dance and play basketball? Mm -hmm. um, nothing wrong with dancing and playing basketball, but I don't know if that is the greatest form of its meaning. So um, we have these conversations. He doesn't remember this incident, but I'm very clear. All of this is your heritage, this uh, British colonialism. <laughs> so <laughs> you got it from both sides. <laughs> <laughs> You're the colonizer and the colonizer. And the colonized. <laughs> so um, yeah, we we definitely have these conversations in my home. And he has a clear sense of it, but he often comes with questions. When, especially when his peers start saying things and speaking too broadly about those people. Um, he often will come and we will discuss like how he fits in all of that. And again, to me, I think heritage is important. I think um, culture is important. For me, I'm a little confused about the race thing. Not that I don't know and understand how they, the physics work, but some days it feels like I'm supposed to be black because you see me as black and that means something to you, but you see me as black, but you don't know who I am. Mm. Makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so for me, I have a hard time with colorblindness from this perspective that it tends to erase people exactly um if you we want to talk about history colorblindly we should talk about all of history right. um but we shouldn't assume that everybody necessarily has the same culture and background because my son doesn't look british but he's very british he's very british he he, he pronounces some of his words wrong and i said it he says i'm wrong because I'm not British. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I have a feeling that his mother will have an opinion about that statement, but that's um, not what this conversation is about. <laughs> his mother has plenty of opinions. Um, so my point is, I'm curious and interested and engaged with how race works out in the classroom, because I think there are, I think I was raised with some bad habits. Mm -hmm. I think I saw a lot of bad habits happening to me in the classroom um, and, you know, primary, secondary, and, you know, advanced degrees of education. Yeah. So, you know, I want my son to be healthy and not necessarily have a whole bunch of baggage that he don't necessarily need to carry around. Yeah. I have 
good news and bad news. Yep. The good news is that you can empower him to be confident. The bad news is that he will definitely have some of those experiences that are disappointing. Oh, absolutely. And the good news from that bad news is that if you help him work through it and you talk to him about it and give him some, give him support and validate how he feels, he will be healthy. Hmm. Right. Because if like in that conversation with that man, he's taking away every, all of your authority to decide your, who you are and who your son is. And when you're in a classroom and that happens with an adult who's in power, who's not some random, the best tool and defense is making sure that you reinforce at home. And I think, you know, this is maybe this is something that will make people raise their eyes, especially parents. Not every not every time there's a slight is the time to go and talk to the teacher, you know, it may be, let me give you some words to, you know, depending on, on how old your child is to go back and say, you know, Mr. Smith, I didn't like it when you said that yesterday, you know, or Mr. Smith, can we talk a little bit more about what you said yesterday? Depending on how he feels and depending on his maturity. Um, right. I know I sent my son to school all the time like that when he was in second and third grade and the teachers were like, what? <laughs> You know, and then they, then they would say, well, I'll talk to your mom and they would text me or call me. And I would say, he's, he is very articulate. You need to have a conversation with him first and then report back to me what you guys came up with, you know, and I would ask him and I would ask the teacher. And then if there was still something, there was a couple of times where that didn't work. Then I went and had a conversation with him, but it's just like anything, like the more you use a tool, the better at it you get. You know, you see people who are born with no arms. They've been writing with their feet since they were little. Correct. But we, we don't necessarily do that, the equivalent emotionally with kids. We don't get them started writing with their feet until they're in high school. And by the time they're in high school, you're five seconds before you got to get out in the world. Right. And I think that's what's unhealthy for children is they go out into the world only having practiced those crucial skills that they're going to need to navigate the world for like a year. So the sooner you can get them talking, the sooner you can get them advocating for themselves without your intervention, mom, dad, you know, auntie, cousin, the more time they'll have to really, really get good at it. I like that. Thank you. <laughs> well, do you have any other questions or anything else you want to talk about? Um, I think this is a very relevant and topical question, um, because, uh, school's going to start without, um, in-person education. How do you differentiate education for kids who might be a little advanced to the curriculum in a way that the curriculum still engages them? So you're doing, are you talking about as you're homeschooling or as you're doing the distance learning that's coming from the school? Yes. Both. Well, I actually am a huge fan of project-based learning, but um, I actually, 
you know, in my book, the May for Pre-K book, it actually articulates ways that you can translate everyday living into project or experience-based learning. So helping you pull out like what in everyday life can you learn from? And I think that's a great way to differentiate because we can all learn how to draw a fish, but you know, children with better motor skills will draw a different kind of fish than children who are still developing in that. So the more that you can take the schoolwork that he does and translate it into some form of a project, the more he'll be able to like push the limits of what his learning is. And if you need help with that, there's a, a workbook that I can give you that'll lay out how do you exactly do that within the context of a curriculum. I feel like we are almost, um, we, we, we stumble across that sometime because uh, we very much get project oriented when he shows a interest in something. Right. And then he shows up to school and this thing becomes a topic of, of curriculum. And he almost feels shut down by teachers. Um, he was in preschool arguing with his preschool teacher <laughs> about uh, brontosauruses. Oh. The teacher gave him a worksheet saying this is a brontosaurus. And he couldn't read the word brontosaurus, but we had dove deep enough into dinosaurs that he knew mm -hmm. that the brontosaurus was a hoax. And that it was actually an apatosaurus and a brachiosaurus. And I don't care about dinosaurs, but my son has informed me about these things. And he, you know, was very discouraged and, you know, had a tearful moment at home mm -hmm. when the teacher said, you need to color this picture of a brontosaurus. Um, he had a similar experience. Um, in first grade when he was talking about space, the teacher wanted to explain to them what the planets are. And he wanted to get deeper because he's into space now. So he wanted to talk about Olympus Mons, which is the mountain volcano on Mars. And You notice I, shake, I shook my head like I knew what that was. That was acknowledgement. That wasn't that I knew what you were talking about. I'm glad you clarified. Well, I, I just want you to understand <laughs> he knows more about what I'm talking about than I do. <laughs> um, you know, he wanted to talk about Enceladus, which is a moon of Saturn. And that is not the scope of the curriculum. Mm -hmm. So how do you keep a child engaged when they want to share that they are grasping the curriculum in class and engaged, mm -hmm. but you know, you already covered that because it feels like curriculum is constantly reviewing the prior foundation and adding to reviewing. That's exactly and what it is. Right. And so um, the stuff he's talking about with, you know, astron astronomy, won't be covered probably till eighth grade. Right. But they're gonna keep talking about how, okay, Pluto's not a planet. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, again, I'll go back to what I said before about empowering him. You know, again, having him practice, when you encounter something you already know, you can tell the teacher, 
this is what I'm really into at home. And I, I've been working on this at home a lot. And I've done a lot of reading and a lot of videos and podcasts about it. So I know some of this stuff, but there's a bunch of stuff that um, I can I share with the class some of the other stuff that we may not talk about, you know, and then like, again, I mean, if I'm a teacher, and I know a kid and it's his his dig. And that's your that's the thing that jazzes you up. Like I, I remember um, being in class and I would have a kid who loved music. I would say, well, how does this relate to, you know, music? And then they go off on a five minute tangent, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm like, that's five minutes that I can think and kind of figure out how the direction that I want to take. So kid, you take it over for a second. Give me a breather. Cause teachers are really juggling a lot and, you know, make no mistake about it. There, there are very few teachers who are like, oh, this technology, I got this, you know, they're, they're, they were juggling a lot and now they're juggling even more. So the more, again, he can have those conversations with his teacher because and it also gives the teacher kind of a heads up, like I'm not being a smart aleck. This is just something I'm super interested in. Right. And I'm not trying to contradict you, but this is stuff that I've been searching and researching, you know, and giving the teacher a heads up and, you know, again, reminding him you're, you're seven, you're not an expert, but you may want to tell your teacher you're super interested in this topic. Right. Okay. So that may be a, that may be a preemptive way to kind of avoid some of those awkward moments. Like, mm, this is not a bronchiosaurus. I actually thought that bronchiosauruses were a thing. And now I know that they're not. Brontos Brontosaurus is not oh. a thing. Brachiosaurus is a thing. Oh, so I didn't learn anything yet. <laughs> I think I'm going to need some kid questions answered in a few minutes from kids somewhere. <laughs> I, I, I've been corrected many times, so I'm on the right script. There you go. But yeah, I mean, it's so, it's like, again, refereeing those, those relationships with kids, with teachers, because we forget teachers are humans and they get frustrated and they have bad days or the other way around. They feel all this pressure. Like, you know, you have all these scores and test scores and how it reflects on the district. And they're like, everybody has to know everything. Otherwise this whole district is a disaster. I mean, that's a, that's a weight. <laughs> that's a huge weight on somebody. So it's, it's kind of like a, like a two way street and how you can build those relationships with your with your children and with his teachers okay so, thank you I, I thank you that 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 is helpful just that level of communicating with the teacher um they're all special but this is how this one's special <laughs> <laughs> might uh resolve some uh future frustration yeah well I just want to say thank you so much for talking to me and the questions you asked, like everyone's always like, what should I ask? Like everybody always comes up with good questions because they're going to be significant to you. And they're going to be things that believe it or not, a lot of people ask about, you know, and you think, oh, this is just me. Uh, it's not necessarily just you, your particular situation may be a little different, but it's always good to have different perspectives on this stuff. So I definitely appreciate you talking to me.
thank you for your time. I appreciate your answers and uh, helping me think about negotiating some of these challenges. So that's our conversation for today. I hope you found some information that was interesting or a perspective that you hadn't thought of. If you like what you heard, or even if you have some feedback, put a comment in our comment section. Be sure to like our page and make sure that you subscribe so that you can hear when the next video comes out. Thanks so much again for joining us.